Hey everyone, welcome to the Made in Music podcast. I'm Riley Taylor, our community manager here at Bull Circle Music, and I'm so excited for you to hear this upcoming episode because today we get the privilege to hear from Brad O'Donnell about what music industry professionals are looking for in an artist. He's the co-president of Capital Christian Music Group, and his ambitious vision has helped him excel in a wide variety of roles from A&R to marketing and promotion. This was recorded at our 2023 Music Makers Bootcamp here in Nashville, Tennessee. This is an immersive experience where you get to learn directly from music industry professionals and connect with other high-level music makers. If you want more information about our upcoming Music Makers Bootcamp, head to musicmakersbootcamp.com. For now, let's dive into the episode. Hi, Brad. My name is Jennifer Burrows. Um, I have a question for someone that's fairly new to try to, I'm trying to get into the industry. And of course, you know, I'm like a fine wine, let's say. I'm well-aged. Um, so... Um, as at the executive level, do you, can you, um, explain if you've ever really met someone that's new to the industry that's, at, it's over the age of 20? How, how does that work out? <laughs> it is. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It, it tends to be, um, happen less often. And I think the reason is because all the things we talked about, you know, finding an audience, most of us as forgetting about the industry for a minute, just being music fans, most of us, what happens is this is what all the research says. When you're in your teens and early 20s, you kind of find your artist that you love. That's when you're exploring. You're listening to everything that's new that's coming out. Then, you know, you get later in life, you get a job, you start a family. And so you're not as likely to kind of discover new music. And so the fans who are often consuming most of the music online tend to be people in that 12 to, let's say, 30, 35 range. And so... It does happen, and it can happen one of two ways. One is somebody who just appeals to that fan base. It's like they're not trying to. They just naturally and organically make music that that fan base likes. The other is somebody who has found a way to get to more adult artists. Um, and there, there are a ton of people out there. I'm a big believer that there's a whole bunch of people my age who would love to find new music. You know, and what they, don't, what they don't have time to do all day is to do everything we just talked about. Go through social media, try a bunch of music, listen through 10 playlists on Spotify. So that's why I say it happens less often because I think it's, it's trickier when it happens. But I wouldn't give up. The, the fans will tell you, right? If you put out some music, if you do something and you see a reaction to it, that's the truth. Okay. Thank you. Hi, thank you so much for your, oh, I'm over here. Um, my question is, um, you know, say you develop all the attributes that a record label is looking for, you have some interest in social media, you do live shows, everything like that. Um, how do you actually get in front of someone at a label um, to have a meeting, to see what your options are, anything like that? That's a great question, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's a little bit like anything in life, like, you know, how do you find the right person to marry or whatever? It's like you have to date around a little bit and try and so, you know, what, what I always encourage artists to do is a couple things. You know, one is reach out. You just don't know when you're going to catch somebody. Don't be hurt if they don't respond, but you can find most people's email addresses online. Um, I, I don't have time to respond to all of them, but I will I'll respond twice a year to a LinkedIn message I got that just seemed really nice. It was well-written. It was thoughtful. It didn't ask a lot of me. Um, I'll respond to an email that somebody said, hey, I'd love it if you'd listen to one song and see what you thought. 90% of the time I can't. It's just there's too many other things going on. I think most people are like that. But that's part of it is you, you have to put a lot of lines in the water to find the one. The other piece is the kind of bloom where you're planted thing. Like you find, who do I know in the music business? I, like I was talking before about all the stuff that Aaron and I got wrong when we moved to town. You know, one of the things I think we got right is I did what I called agenda-free meetings. 
I mean, if somebody knew somebody in the music business, I would say, can I take you to coffee for 30 minutes? And I'd ask him a question. And usually what would happen is by the end of it, they'd go, you know, I know so-and-so. Would you want to meet them? And they'd copy me on an email and I'd meet so-and-so. And it didn't feel like a lot was happening for a while. But after a couple of years, I looked up and we had a network. This person led to this person, led to this person, led to this person. And so to your, answer your question, like how does somebody like me or somebody at our company hear your music, that's, that's usually what it is. I mean, if I think about every artist on our roster and you said, how did you hear about so-and-so? I'd say, you know, I think it was like this manager got forwarded something by his cousin and he thought I would like it, so he sent it to me. And that's, but you have to have so many lines in the water to find that one. I was going to ask, can you speak to the barrier of location? I, you know, there's so many different music hotspots, and it's, you know, I kind of hear you have to move to Nashville or move to L.A. or move to Minneapolis, wherever it is, to make it. Because of those connections, gr- grabbing coffee with somebody is hard to do over Zoom. <laughs> and so uh, can you speak to that challenge a little bit from somebody who's not coming from one of those hotspots? Uh, is the only answer move to a hotspot, or is there a way for us to do it in a non-musical hotspot? That's a great question. Um, The short answer is no, I don't think you have to. I'm thinking through the people that we signed. Here's what's interesting. Almost none of them are already living in Nashville, Um, but all of them moved here afterwards. So if your question was, can you you have a successful career once you're signed outside of Nashville? I think that's tougher because so much of the business and your team and who you want to interact with every day is here. But almost all of them beforehand were not here. And... um, I think the reason for that is probably 10 years ago, the answer was yes. And I think now because of the internet, you just don't have to. It's like if you're doing any of these things we were talking about earlier, if you have a video that's reacting online, if you have a song that is, and one person in the industry hears about it, who knows somebody else in the industry and can share it, they'll find you. They'll come to you. So um, I don't think so. I think you just have to be somewhere where you can have an active music career. Hey, uh, Brad, I'd love to get your hot take on AI in music creation and, you know, where music is going. Oh, my gosh. That's such a good question. If, uh, is everybody familiar with ChatGPT and kind of what's happening in AI? I mean, because this is happening, like, literally right before our eyes, right? We're just, the technology is brand new, but people are writing songs and lyrics. You know, my, my hot take, which, you know, I hope this isn't being recorded so I can deny I said it later if it's wrong, is that for now I'm on the optimistic side and my reason is is because um this is like crazy analogy but i'm old enough i remember when uh, drum machines were invented all the drummers that i knew were like we'll never work again the drummer the drum machine can do what the drummer did it's like it's perfect time always sounds the same you don't have to have mics set up and the truth was that the drum machine can do i mean listen how much drum machine there is on the radio right it's like it can do a lot of what a human does better but what it made was the, the human part more valuable. So a drummer that has feel, that can push and pull a little bit, those drummers became more valuable. If what you were trying to do was play perfectly and play the same way every time, you became way less valuable. And so that's my sense, is that what's going to happen, and I think much like when machines came into music in the 80s and 90s, um, it's going to take some time to adjust. We're going to have to figure out what do the machines do well that we need to let them do because they do it better than people? And that's okay anyways, because that's not very human. And what are the things that human beings, there's a soul piece to it that can't be replaced. So anyways, we'll listen back in five years, see if I was right or not. But for now, I'm optimistic. Any, 
My name is Jordan. Thank you so much for speaking here. Um, I wanted to ask you, how would an independent artist know that they're ready to be in front of an industry professional or, you know, there's a lot of learning to do, but like maybe that stage that they're in where, oh, maybe they should start meeting people and making meetings. I mean, that's a great question, because on the one hand, you would say um, what I said earlier, which is about when you've got some measurables, like I have the song and it's reacting. I got put in this huge playlist at Spotify. I had this video. It's over 100,000 views now. My Instagram followers just you cross 50,000. That would be the like the correct answer. But what I would say is it's it's never too early to start a relationship. Most people in the industry like they like to share their knowledge and help. So let's say you're not there yet. None of those things have happened. I think if they know that you know that, if you say, look, I know it's early days for me, but I'm really ambitious. I really believe this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I just wanted to send you a song. And is it okay if like every six months I check in with you and I let you know what's happening with me? Most of them want that because when you do get there, they want to be first in line. So when that song, and you probably will feel the same, right? You'll think if all of a sudden you have a song blow up and there's a bunch of industry people calling you, you'll think, I remember when that one woman she always took my phone calls and she always talked with me and so i'm going to go back to her and she's going to be the first person i've talked to so you know from getting a deal perspective it's probably later but i think if you can start relationships with people plus plus you're going to learn along the way right they're going to give you feedback like we talked about before so in that sense sooner the better thank you i wanted to find out the band and or song that turns you back to the Lord? That's a great question. Probably nobody has heard. Has anybody heard of Charlie Peacock by chance? Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of hands in the room. Um, it, was a, it was Charlie's first solo record. It was called The Secret of Time. Yeah, it made a huge impact on me. Hi, my, oh. Hi, my name's Chase. Um, I am doing, like, the rock music one man band thing. I'm three albums in and the further I do it, it's like the more uncomfortable I get with the financial aspects of it and trying to get money from it. Like I love playing for free and giving my CD away for free and the social media aspects can feel very soul sucking. So when you say like artists should ask themselves, um, you know, do I actually want to be a big artist? Um, that like lands pretty heavily on me because it's like, I, I think the answer is no. Like I, I love the idea of being a local artist, having a community here, not needing to tour or wanting to tour. Um, so I'm curious what type of, or I guess generally speaking, if you have advice for that, but more specifically, I was curious if what type of team do you think I should have or this type of artist should have? Can you talk about you know, producer, manager, booking agent, all these different possibilities. What do you think would be a reasonable, logical team for that scale and scope? First of all, I love that you said that. It's, it's funny, almost no one ever says that. It's, I don't, if, you ever, if you guys watched American Idol and somebody goes on to sing and everybody thinks they're, they're a, a superstar. Yeah. Nobody does that with sports, right? Nobody went to the NFL draft last night and said, yeah, I've never really done this at a high level before, but I really think I could start for the New England Patriots next year it's like you kind of know like that's just not my thing but with music i think everybody has this thing of like it only counts if you're trying to do it at a big level and i always hated that because when i was doing my nr job i hated that feeling of sitting with somebody and them looking at me like i was their only hope because i was thinking i don't want to be your answer like if you get a record deal if you're supposed to do this 
do it. You know, if we're supposed to work together, great. But you should be doing this just because you love it, because you're called to do it and brings you joy and you bring others joy when you do it. So I, I just first want to say, like, I love that. In terms of your team, I mean, the, the answer that most industry professionals will give you, and I think this is fair, is you know it when you need it. So in other words, when you get to the point, let, let's say you're a local act and you're thinking about a booking agent who's going to take 15, 20% of whatever you make. Well, when you get to the point where you go, I can't, actually can't field the incoming calls. They want me to sign contracts. They want me to read it. I have my day job. I can't do it. That means you need a booking agent. And what's great is you'll find one, right? Because you'll go to somebody and you'll say, actually, I have something for you to do. You can make money working with me. So they'll be inclined to work with you. I think a lot of artists, um, there's nothing wrong with this, but they try and build a team before they, they've really gotten to that place where they need it yet. And that's okay. It's okay to be at the place where you don't have a team because when you have a team, you're the CEO, but it's good if you know what everyone else does. Like, I'm not a booking agent, but I know how hard it is to book because I did it for a year before I got to the point where I need a booking agent. I'm not a manager, but I know what I want my manager to do and how I want them to represent me because I used to have to do it. I used to have to get on the phone and call everybody and represent myself. So I would say the, the main answer I would give is when you feel like there's a piece of this I can no longer carry on my own. I got to find someone else. That's when you need them. Yeah, like DIY until it's too much for me. Exactly. Cool. Thank you. Got it. How you doing? Thank you so much for being here. Hey. So I'm excited that we have the opportunity to talk with somebody who was big in the industry 30 years ago. I don't know what to ask her. <laughs> so if you have some, some input on some good, helpful questions, like hear her story, what else? Yeah, sorry, so were you asking for yourself or, or somebody who you're with for her? Yeah, um, in terms of what advice, just what I give for somebody who's early on in their career? Yeah, um, I mean, first of all, I really mean this, the fact that you're here, like I would have died for something like this. This goes back to why I sent, you know, 500 CDs and made 500 phone calls. I, I was in Miami, there was no like, uh, the Christian music industry wasn't really reaching there. And so... I, I didn't know what to do. Like, you're going to leave these couple of days with way more information and knowledge. You'll just be able to edit out, like, this is what I should spend my time on because I think it'll help me get where I want to go versus um, these are the things that are, are not going to get me where I go. So you have a huge head start is the first thing I would say, just as encouragement. And beyond that, you know, we talked about it earlier, but um, maybe I would say, you know, the making and performing of the music has to be its own reward. Um, meaning that if, if it becomes your job and how you pay your bills and your car payment, that's great. I'm really happy that that ended up being that way for me. But that's not where I started. And I told you guys my story. I started when I was 14 years old because I loved that feeling of making music with my friends and being on stage in front of people. And so I think that's the first thing is just make sure you have that love and passion because over time, a lot of other uh, agendas come into view, but that little flame has to stay lit to keep you doing all the other things that you're doing. So anyways, I'm glad you're here. So if I can like clarify, because I don't know if I communicated exactly what my question, that we have a chance to sit down with somebody or over the phone to, to talk with somebody and she doesn't know that we're doing this. <laughs> she, I knew her before I, I, I was friends with her before I knew that she was big and then found out that she had been in the industry, and I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. And so I don't want to commute. 
So you're asking yeah, like, what, what you should ask her. Yeah, what questions should I ask her? And I also don't want to put any pressure on her to do some favor for me, but I really do want to pick her brain at the same time. You know what? I think if you, what I found with people is if you make it easy for them, most people are really generous with their time and money. So if you say, um, I don't know if you live in the same city, it would be a phone call, you don't? So if you just say, hey, when you have 20 minutes, if I could just pick your brain, that would mean a lot. You let me know when it works for you. Most people will do that for you. I think when people are like, can I come in and play you 10 songs and I need you to clear your Tuesday morning, that's when they start ghosting you. you know, they don't return your phone calls or texts. So I, I think if anytime anybody's ever done that for me, um, I, I've always been happy to do it. And I, I bet your friend would be as well. So I would just make it easy for them. If you're playing music, because you might want to, right? You want to get their sense of how good they think the music is and any feedback they have on how to make it better. I'd pick your one or two best songs. That's another mistake, just candidly, I see, I see artists make a lot. They want to play, well, how can they know what I do if I don't play them six or seven songs? And part of, um, I'm not saying music professionals are know everything, because they don't, but they've listened to a lot of music. So if you pick your two best songs, they'll have a sense of, this is the part I like about what your voice is great, or your songwriting is really good. This is the part that needs work. And they'll be able to tell you that. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Um, my name is Debbie, and I'm from California. Um, I'm worship leader there, and I've asked this question at every songwriters conference I've ever been at. And actually, Jericho yesterday gave me a little bit of good advice, but I'm curious for your answer. Um, for worship writing, is there any kind of an avenue for getting worship songs out of our church and into other churches? Besides CCLI, I'm not on the top 40 or whatever, um, and local networking, is there any kind of an avenue for either submitting worship songs or getting those out beyond the four walls of our church? I mean, there's probably a lot of ways, and they probably all work to varying degrees. For me, I would say what I've seen be the most effective is leading it outside of your church. That people who, the worship leaders that I'm around, they have antenna like crazy because they want a great song that's going to connect at the next time they're leading. So, like, I'll give you one example. Um, you know the song, Good, Good Father? So Chris Tomlin, who I work with, cut it. Um, there was a guy named Pat Barrett, who's also on our roster, wrote it. He's part of the group House Fires at the time. But he was leading it. Someone else heard it. I, I don't know her name. She was a female worship leader. She was at a conference. Chris's wife, Lauren, was at the conference. So she comes home and says, you've got to hear this song. Like, the whole, we sang it all weekend, and it was like it changed the room every time it was led. So anyways, that's kind of how we found Good Good Father and how we started working with Pat. But I know that's kind of a big example. But from what I know of worship leaders, that happens all the time. They just are looking and listening. And so if you're leading at your church, there's a bunch of people. There's probably a few worship leaders there. Someone might lead it somewhere else. If you get asked to lead at a women's conference or another event someone else, you lead it there. Now there's another group of people and someone might hear it there. That's what I would do. Right here. You said you worked with NF. That's right. He has a little bit of an unorthodox method of how he does things. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? You know, it's funny. He, he was who I was thinking of when I was talking about vision and artists who say no all the time. Like, he, he gets, you know, with our parent company, Universal and Capital, I know they get frustrated at times. But it's, it's one of the things I think those of us that work closely with him love about him is he has a really deep sense of, of who he is and, and what works for him. And so, and he's just very, uh, I would say, courageous. Like, because it takes a lot of guts. Most of us, 
who are creatives are people pleasers. So when you got somebody who's more experienced than you and they've had success and you haven't yet and they say, um, you know, we would really make you successful if you recorded the song or if you worked with this producer, whatever, go on this tour. And you look at it and you think, That's, I don't like that song or this, that producer's fine, but that doesn't sound like anything what I do. The music they make doesn't sound like what I love and what I want to do. And so most artists, I think, feel like the experts are telling me I need to do this, so I'm going to do it. And he's a great example of he doesn't do that, you know. He will. He, but what's funny is the first thing, is, one of the things I said earlier on about being a listener and a learner, he is a listener and a learner. He's listening. He's just saying no a lot. He's just got that grid where he knows, give me an idea. Okay, great, I'll do it. That actually fits for me. Give me another idea. That one doesn't work. I won't do it. So like, he's, he's a good example of a couple of these things. Hello, thank you for your presentation. Uh, my question is, as an independent artist, writing and then recording and releasing songs, and then I want to go to the level, right, to the next level where the production is better, is the quality is, you know, it's better. Then the budget also is bigger. How, how do you navigate the, the financial part of, you know, having a producer who can create good music, but at the same time, you can afford. I actually wanted to do an album this year, had 10 songs, but when he told me the price, I ended up settling for six because I couldn't afford, you know. So, so how do you, you know, balance that? That's a great question. It's very practical, right? It's like if I were an independent artist and I thought, I'm making good sounding music, but it's not, it doesn't sound as great as I want. Again, the great thing about the internet is you have access to people all over the world now. So the first thing I would do is go find independent records. I thought, well, that's a great sounding record. I wish my record sounded like that. And I'd find out who worked on it and I would reach out to them. And probably what you're going to find is some of what you found with your friend, like, whoops, even though that's independent, it's still out of my budget. It's really expensive. But if you call enough people, you can find someone who, because what you're trying to find is a producer who's like you. Like, I'm early in my career. I can't charge a bunch of money yet. I want to someday. I'd like to support my life doing this. But for now, I can't charge that much just because I'm trying to build my resume. Every producer I know, that's what they did. They started by making independent records. And then they slowly got to the point where they could charge a little more for independent records and slowly a little more. And then all of a sudden, labels noticed and said, would you work for me? So it just may take some digging and some research. The other thing I would say is think about, um, you know, we... The one way streaming has really changed music is, you know, it doesn't have to be a full record anymore. So if you, I don't know, if your budget is, I'd really like to make an independent record for $10,000, $15,000. And there's no, you can't find anybody whose music you really like that will only charge you that much. Maybe you make a four song EP for $10,000. And it's, if it's really good, you can still stream enough that over time, financially, it'll, it'll work out for you. Um, in a room like this, there's so much young talent. What advice would you have for like watching out for scams or like bad deals? Because everyone is so hungry to learn, right? And there's always someone who can take advantage of that. So, in your experience, what are those things that like we should be watching out for? Amazing question. I mean, what's funny is we all know the answer to it, right? Like anything you're doing in life, what should you do? Get a second opinion, get a third opinion before you do it. And what do most of us do, me included? N not. I just got excited. This person's interested in my music. They're exciting. 
And so I moved forward and I made, I could, you know, I won't do it, but I could talk you through three or four really bad decisions I made when really it's as simple as go. So you're about to sign a work with this attorney, um, do a record with this producer, uh, sign a deal with this manager, find, find them. And if they're, if they're really good, they'll give them to you. It's like, Hey, can I get three or four references? Would you mind? Um, obviously sometimes you can get a little more honest answer if you just do your own research. Hey, I know you worked with so-and-so I'm looking at working with them too. Could, could I pick your brain for 10 minutes? It, it really mean a lot to me. And they're not all going to respond. Yes, but they will. But great question. Always do your research, ask around. I always tell artists when they meet with us, we're not perfect either. There's a lot of things that are great about our company, but there's a lot of areas we could be better. So it's like, go ask our artists if you meet them or go ask artists that have worked with us. They'll, I'm going to sell you and tell you why Capital CMG is a great music company, but somebody else will probably give you a little truer picture of here's what's great about them, but here's you know what their challenges are. Hello, Brad. Thank you very much for this. My name is Jérôme. So uh, this morning we had a fantastic songwriter uh, that came and she said like she was drinking a lot of coffee or like with people of A&R. And then I asked her, what is she doing with her day, the rest of the day? So once you have find the perfect artist for, for you, what is your day? What do you do with your day? Great question. Well, my days are a little different now, you know, my new role. But when I was doing A&R, um, it's, have you heard the phrase artist development? You know, and it's really a mysterious, I mean, oftentimes years-long process. So you've you found this artist that's great, and they have some of these things, but then there's also other things that they definitely don't have. They don't have the right team. Um, they're a great singer, but songs are not right. Uh, visually, they're way off. Everybody who sees it goes, man, that's not what I thought it was going to sound like when I saw her photo. So you have to get all of that right, because I don't know if you ever heard the phrase, you only get one chance at a first impression. Um, I think there's something to that, you know, that the, once you, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be releasing independent music all the time, but there's something about when you're going to be rolled out to the industry all at once, spotlight turned on, megaphone, the billboards, everything I talked about before, you want to be ready for that moment. And so it's all those things. It's getting the music ready. It's, um, I actually love that part of the process because it's mysterious. You know, it's like, how do you know who the right producer is? Well, you probably have to try three or four different producers, you know? How do you know who the songwriter, who they're going to have the best chemistry with and going to write the really special songs? They probably have to write with four or five different songwriters to find that. So you have to just start experimenting and creating, and then you see what sticks. Hi, thank you so much. Um, I have a lot of friends that love NF, and I was just wondering if you could tell us any backstory about him and how you work with him and how he works. Uh, he's, he's an amazing guy. He's, um, he, he was just a, a really a, a hustler more than anything. Somebody, a, a manager friend of mine sent me a, a few tracks and I heard him and I thought they were phenomenal, fantastic. And so um, anyways, as I got to know him, I found out he was even a better person and really driven. So he's, we're lucky to have him. Hey, Brad. I'm Grant from Oklahoma City. Uh, I have a question about um, artists, quote, staying in their lane. You mentioned having a very clear vision. A um, little bit of context. Uh, I have released a collection of singer-songwriter pop kind of stuff. Um, I'm now shifting more into worship uh, specifically. And so I'm kind of trying to navigate, okay, how do I, how do I balance those two things where... Um, 
I, I want to present a very clear and concise, hey, this is who I am as an artist. I still have the singer-songwriter type stuff. Um, it's still out on Spotify. So I'm trying to just navigate um, how, how to do that. Um, and I guess part two of that would be, uh, should I keep the same like Spotify artist account for both? Or should I leave the, the one and create a new one? Does that make sense? does. Yeah, yeah and I've, I've seen all those things happen before where um, sometimes an artist just makes a shift and it's like, you know, the old stuff is different, but it's still me. So they leave it up. Sometimes they'll, we'll do this too. We'll work with an artist. And they'll go, you know what I do now is so different. I think it's confusing. When people go to my Spotify page, so I'm going to pull it down. They pull all those records down. Sometimes what people do is they keep it up, but they start a new project. They come up with a band name, an artist name, do something different. I think it's really, um, it's up to you. It kind of depends on how you feel the new music and the old music work together. Because, you know, it's the cooking thing we talked about a minute ago. It's like, how does it all fit together? Does it feel like you? Because I think it's okay if something's eclectic. I mean, haven't you been in some eclectic, whatever, a designed house or something? And sometimes, like, these pieces shouldn't go together, but they feel good together. And then sometimes you're in and you're like, these pieces don't go together. This like doesn't look like any thought was put into this. And so that's, you almost have to approach your page and your aesthetic the same way and have a sense about, does this reflect me or does it need some adjusting? But the good news is now you have that option. You can do it if you want. Thank you. Um, hi. Um, this is kind of based off of Grant's question. I, um, I want to be a producer later on. And so I was wondering what's kind of like the appropriate, like how do you get um, or figure out pricing and like, um, I don't know, like I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> and so I guess how do you present yourself in a way like I am professional and I am worth it, but at the same time I want to meet your needs and like I'm learning along the way. Like how do you figure that out, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. So you're, you, you'll, I mean, I guess we all are who are doing this, but you especially will be an entrepreneur, right? You're setting up a business. And so first you're trying to get people to try your product, which is your production. And so what I've seen with producers is, have you ever heard of on spec? Have you ever heard that phrase before? That's a, like a Nashville term. On spec means for free, but if you use it, you have to pay me for it. So I've, I've seen people do that where they'll say, listen, I charge $500 a track, $1,000 a track. Um, but I'm willing to do one on spec. I'm willing to, to spend a day with you and kind of see how it feels. And if you don't love it, you're not going to use it. No harm, no foul. Look, I'm not going to finish it so you can put it out, but I'll, I'll spend some time so you can see what's possible. And if it feels good, you'll do it. What will happen is after you get a couple of those and things come online, production, I feel like as much as anything I've ever been around is word of mouth. People start to talk. They'll, like we were talking about earlier, researching. That record sounds great. Who did that? She did it. It's like, can I get her information? I want to see if she'll work with me. Artists are definitely, I find this, they're, they're watching all the time. Who wrote that song? Who produced that record? And they want to get with those people who are doing something that they feel is great. Hello? Yeah, um, back to the previous question. Uh, artist name, I'm really right at the beginning, and I wonder if you have a recommendation about maybe having an artist name that makes you maybe look more like a group of people instead of one little person. A recommendation, like, do I think that's better to do it that way? Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. You know, what's interesting is, like, I like bands a lot and groups of people. You know, there are, as you would imagine, it complicates things, right? There's more opinions for everybody. There's 
more schedules to align. Uh, you got to split the dollar up more ways when there's people doing it. So I think if you can, I think bands are really interesting. I, what I find is the reason there are less bands is a really practical reason. It's just tougher to be a group of people and do something together than to, to do something on your own. So I, I'm, I was always in bands and I always like that feeling of doing something together because I believe in chemistry. You know, there's just like something you can play with. You, you, you probably all played music with a certain group of people and it's like, that was fine. And then you're with a different group of people and it's like something happened. You know, it was magic. So if I thought I was in a situation that had real chemistry to it, I think it would be worth figuring it out. All right, we have a question here, and then we probably have time for one more before we close up. Hi, how are you? Um, simple question. I'm an old school musician, and, and the role or the term producer to me from the 80s and early 90s seems to have changed somewhat. Now the producer takes on a whole different thing. The producer could be the composer, right? Um, where it, when I was doing this, um, the producer was the person who knew every session musician and could say, you know what, that bass player is going to work really great on this song or whatever the case might be. Could you define the modern role of the producer for me? It's, uh, it's a really good point, and I think you're right. It, it's, it, it, look, that still exists. Like in country music, that still happens. There's a record producer. He hires the band. They cut records live on the floor is what they say. So everybody's playing live, and they're doing it. And there's still rock records that are made that way. Um, the majority, though, is what you talked about, what we were kind of talking about earlier. You're, you're kind of a jack of all trades. I, mean, I remember it was probably early, mid-2000s, the first time I started noticing the producer wrote the song, like you said. The producer engineered the track. Um, we didn't pay a studio because the producer had a home studio in their bedroom. We didn't pay a mixer because the producer um, mixed. It was interesting. You know, one of the last things that held on was mastering. If you know what that is, it's the last part of making a record. We have producers now that master. You know, they, I mean, they literally do everything. No one else ever touches it. Every dollar spent is going to them, and they do all of it. And it's a little bit, it's funny, it's a little connected to what we were talking about with AI before. It's like, I think music and technology is, is what changed that, and it evolved. That was something that was not possible before the technology became really widespread, and, and now it is. So um, I think there's great things about both ways. Uh, I still like when we get to cut records that way, because I think there's something about a group of highly trained musicians playing music together but I also love a lot of records where it's somebody's just a mad scientist in their spare bedroom and making something. It's all great to me. Last question. Thank you for being here. My name is Sophia. As a music producer, if I was to put like five song sample together to be able to give to somebody when the opportunity arises, would it be best to do like five different genres to show the different ways that I can produce, or what do you suggest? You know what, I think to me it would depend on who, um, who I'm pitching. So in other words, if it was an artist, and I, knew, and I knew their music, and I wanted to produce their next record, I'd probably pick things that I would think that they would like. Like, I bet they would like this. They'll hear themselves in it. If I was pitching a record company, and it's like, how I just want to be somebody that you think of to call when you're hiring a producer, I'd want to show diversity. But I also would listen, but I'd treat the record company kind of the same way. You know, some record companies have um, a personality, like this record company works mostly with singer-songwriters. Well, then I might show them things 
that they would hire. So I, I think it uh, probably it's good to have a lot of options, and then I would tailor it to whoever I was sending it to. All right, all right. Do you have any last words for us? No, you guys were great. Thank you so much for your time and attention. The energy yes, let's awesome. all give it up for Brad, too. Thanks for listening to part two of this episode of the Made It in Music podcast. Head to musicmakersbootcamp.com to learn more about our upcoming Music Makers Bootcamp and check out madeitinmusic.com for more content and episodes from this podcast. See you in the next episode.